As I said, this is uh, the first in a, uh, in a short series looking at uh, Paul's letter to Titus. Um, we've, uh, we've, we've done a little bit of uh, introduction. We're going to, because of the first one, I thought we're going to do a little bit more introduction before we look at um, the, the, the content of, of chapter one. Um, there are things that I'm not going to say uh, today um, about chapter one. I'm not going to talk about what the Jewish myths might have been. Um, that would be interesting, but I don't think it's uh, what we really want to focus on uh, today. Um, I'm not going to talk about whether the Cretan poet, who is thought to be uh, Epimenides, by the way, whether he was right, um, and, and whether there's a, and whether there's in fact a, a logical um, issue in that is that he's, if all Cretans are liars, and he's saying that. He's a Cretan, and he's saying all Cretans are liars, whether there's a bit of a logical paradox there. But anyway, um, we won't, we'll, we'll put that to one side. We're not going to talk about Epimenides, and we're not going to talk about the Jewish myths, but there is still lots to talk about this morning um, from uh, Titus uh, chapter 1. I think by way of introduction, um, that this, this is an interesting mosaic. It's a, it's a Roman mosaic about, uh, of the, about the right time, about the right time period, um, when Paul was uh, writing to Titus, and it is supposed to be Thesis and the Minotaur, although I can't see how the Minotaur there is half man, half bull. It looks fully bull to me, but anyway. Um, but it is apparently supposed to be Thesis and the Minotaur, and of course that was a, a great uh, Cretan myth. Um, king Minos was the Cretan king. And, and there was a, a, I think it's worth remembering, there was, even before Titus goes to Crete, there's a huge history. Uh, Cretan history is, you know, thousands of years old, and a very a series of very sophisticated um, civilizations. Um, and the Romans had, you know, relatively recently in the history of Crete taken over, um, and uh, it was a, a significant part of, of their empire. Um, that's that's where uh, Titus has been uh, sent by Paul. Possibly went there with Paul, and then was left there. It, it, that, it implies that that he's. He's been, um, he's been left behind with a, with a particular job of work to do. Um, so, what do we know? Um, well, uh, this is one of the three pastoral epistles, that's Tim, the two Timothys and Titus, um, written uh, right probably at the end of Paul's life, somewhere probably between 62-67 AD. Um, and Timoth- to Timothy is Paul's last letter. You can, you can very much see that as you read through it. Uh, he talks about being uh, poured out uh, like a drink offering, that he's, he's run the race, uh, you know, uh, finished the race. So you can see that. Uh, so for Titus is written round about, uh, just a little bit earlier probably than uh, to Timothy, very probably similar time to 1 Timothy, and there's quite a bit of overlap. Um, so if you, if you want to do some homework, you go home and read 1 Timothy, you will see uh, a lot of what we're going to read in, uh, or look at in 1 Titus is there in 1 Timothy, almost, almost word for word. Because what Paul was writing to Timothy as a leader in the church um, was, always, was very similar to what he was writing to Titus as a leader in the church. Um, so you can see a few things there. Uh, what do we know about Titus? Well, he doesn't actually get, fe- he doesn't feature in Acts. Uh, he's there, we know, in the background. He's part of the events. He's not actually mentioned by name. But Paul does mention him um, in uh, Galatians and in uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, and very approvingly, too. Uh, you know, very much 
this is, this is a, a, somebody who has been with Paul for a very long time. In fact, Paul talks about him going, when Paul went to Jerusalem to argue with uh, the, the church leaders there about whether uh, it was necessary for Christians to become Jews in the, in the sense of being circumcised and following the Jewish law, um, he's very clear that Titus has gone with him. And in fact, Titus is an exhibit because Titus is not circumcised. I don't know to what extent he can exhibit, if you know what I mean. I think, but, um, but he hadn't been circumcised. And that, that, was, that was really important. You know, Paul was making the point, here is Titus, who is, who is a Christian, who, who is trusting Jesus, um, and he's not circumcised and doesn't need to be. So he, that was probably about 49, was probably 49 AD. So um, at least, probably at least 15 years, they've known each other at this stage and worked together. And so very, very close um, companion with Paul and somebody who he trusts absolutely to do a really really important job um, on Crete um, so as I said Paul was at this stage at Nicopolis about 600 miles away by the sea um, and he'd left uh, Titus down in Crete and, uh, and he sends the letter to, to Titus and says basically this, this is what needs to happen this is what we need to do this is not what we need to, to ensure happens, to counter the problems, significant problems, devastating problems that there were in the church in Crete at that time. Um, again, by way of introduction, um, the, the whole book, Titus, um, there, are three, there are three themes and they're clearly interlinked, grace, faith and deeds. Um, and grace is mentioned several times, you can see there's the references there, faith is mentioned many times, good deeds are mentioned very many times uh, it's a very practical um, epistle because essentially what Paul is, is doing is he's writing to Titus with very practical advice um, and uh, well, orders really, uh, as much as advice advice and orders, this is what you must do um, and, and then he, he explains why that has to happen by reference to uh, the gospel. So if you study, like he starts, you know how many of Paul's letters he will start with theology and then he'll go into practical stuff towards the end. This is the other way around really. It, it goes straight in as we'll see in chapter one with all this practical stuff and then, um, and then he, he justifies that through his theology later. So it's, it's a different kind of book. And it's interesting that some people have questioned as to whether Paul some liberal commentators actually questions as to whether Paul actually wrote the book. Um, and, uh, and, and they've done that on, on a, two or three uh, reasons. But one of the reasons is that the language appears to be different. Well, I would suggest that in part the language appears to be different because it's a very different kind of book and it's doing a very ki- a different kind of thing here. Um, it, is a, it is a letter to an individual and it's a very practical letter. Um, and it's not the kind of letter that he, he writes to churches where he's setting out you know, some big themes in, in theology. So, um, a very different kind of book, and that may, in part, explain <coughs> the kind of, of language. Uh, but it's all about, uh, as I put, grace produces faith, and faith which has to be rooted in doctrine, so you have to know what you believe, and that, in turn, uh, will produce uh, good deeds. And those, those links are really, really important, um, as we will see. So, uh, chapter one. Um, the very first bit of, of, of chapter one is um, about uh, Paul himself, um, and uh, so he he says, you know, from Paul. Now, I always think it's a little bit odd that um, 
you know, that, that if I was writing to my aunt, uh, you know, probably that's about the only person we write to these days, if I was writing to my aunt, I probably wouldn't sort of um, introduce myself in the way that Paul does and says, well, dear aunt, you know, um, from, from Richard, you know, um, a head teacher and an occasional lay preacher and a, you know, all, you know, I wouldn't sort of start listing the things about myself, but Paul does. Why? Well, I don't know. I mean, could be a number of reasons, couldn't there? But I don't think he needs to remind Titus particularly about who he is. Um, but I think I'm, I'm going to suggest two reasons. Um, one is, I think, because this letter was going to be used by Titus more widely in the church. Look, Paul says this, and this is who Paul is, remember? So I think maybe that was part of the reason. I think also part of the reason because, actually, um, in, in the way he describes himself, I think Paul sets a a model, actually, um, for what's to come. Now, he's unique um, in the sense that he's an apostle, uh, and not, not unique in, in the sense there were other apostles, but unique in the sense that the people he's writing to are not apostles. Um, but I think he sets a model because he's, he, he introduces himself and says, I'm a servant and apostle. And by doing that, he points out that although he is specially chosen by Jesus, by God, for the work that he is to do. Nevertheless, he does it in a particular way. He does it remembering that he is God's servant. And I think there's a, there's a model there which he then takes and uses um, when he's talking to uh, Titus about what the elders should be like. Because the elders have authority, different kind of authority, um, but they too are going to have to be servants in the way that they approach their role in the church. Um, and, and I was interested in this servant leadership uh, model because um, obviously in my own context I'm a, I'm a leader. And, uh, and, and I, I, I read this and I think, this, I don't necessarily agree with all of this but it's interesting. Uh, this is a guy called Professor Edward Hess um, from the University of Virginia and he, he writes this. Many people believe great leaders are charismatic, uh, have a commanding presence are visionary and educated at elite universities. And, you know, I'd quite like to tick a few of those off, you know, for myself. Um, almost all of the leaders of the high-performing com- companies that I studied, this is a very recent study, had none of those traits. Instead, they are what I call servant leaders. And he goes on to explain what he means. Now, I think it's quite useful, actually, for leaders to be visionary, at least to have a vision that they can communicate with people, that maybe that they allow people to help them shape. But, so I'm, I'm not sure I entirely agree with him that, that these are these, or the implications of these are all irrelevant. But I certainly do agree with him that servant leadership is the right model, um, and is a very effective model. And he goes on to list all these different uh, companies, um, including Starbucks and, and UPS and others, that he says when he looked at them, that was exactly how their leader um, acted. So, servant leadership. And I think Paul here is setting out to say servant leadership uh, is, or one of the reasons he's doing this, he's saying servant leadership is the right model. And so we see that then as he, as he comes uh, to, um, to talk about elders in the church. And what he's doing is he's speaking truth. He's really clear that he's going to speak the truth and that the truth is really important. And when we see what the elders have to do, it's very clear that they have to be very clear about what's true and what's right and what's correct doctrine, but they have to do it in love. And it's really important 
that that balance is struck. And I think Paul is setting the tone right at the start of his letter. Um, and then he talks about, about the message. Um, and if you look at uh, the message that, that he is, um, that he, Paul, is presenting, um, I think he says four things about it. You know, the Advertising Standards Agency says things that must be legal, decent, honest, and truthful. Um, and uh, I always thought, what's the difference between honest and truthful? But I, I, I do understand these days what the difference is between honest and truthful. Something else to talk about, I have a copy. But um, those are the four things. Legal, decent, honest, and truthful. Well, Paul's got four things about his message. It's comprehensible. So you can understand it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, God is mysterious, of course. But God has communicated through uh, the word in a comprehensible way. It is truthful. So it's true truth. The, the, the gospel is true and we, we mustn't be ashamed of that. It is eternal. Far better than any of the adverts that you might get. It's, it's eternal. And it's also hopeful. There's a fantastic message of hope in it. So four things right at the start that he sets out in, um, in this passage. He says, this is the message, Titus, that we are handling and that the elders will handle. It's a comprehensible message, it's a truthful message, it's an eternal message, and it's a hopeful message. And that's, if you like, the, the, the start um, of, of the, the, the letter. Okay, so what does he go on to talk about then in, in chapter 1? This is not, I'm not necessarily taking it exactly in the order that Paul does, um, but first of all, he talks about the problem. The problem, there's a problem in the church. You know, sometimes we talk, we do a sort of SWOT analysis. I do a SWOT analysis sometimes with people at work. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. And strengths and weaknesses are internal and opportunities and threats are external. Well, what, what uh, Paul starts with is, is the, internal, um, the, the internal weakness, which is the fact that there is a, an inherent weakness in the church in Crete and it's certain people. And certain people are causing a major problem uh, for the church. And I think the first thing to notice is, is that it, it is, this trouble is from within. It's often harder, isn't it, to deal with problems when they're from within. This is not an attack from outside the church. This is a problem inside the church. These people claim to be and are acting as members of the church, even perhaps leaders within the church. And they are, uh, they are causing major problems because what they are saying is just not true. Um, that's that's the, the Jewish myths um, and the, 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 they're, that they're talking about. Um, what they're saying is simply not uh, gospel truth. Um, the difficulty, um, as I said, is that it is uh, from within. But I think it's interesting that, um, that Paul says that it's driven by greed. Um, and it may be, maybe Paul, you know, Paul is saying it has something to do with cultural norms in, um, in Crete. You know, he, he, he's quite straight, isn't he, about Cretans, you know, uh, or the, the culture in Crete uh, being one of, uh, you know, of lying and, and what, what have you. There's clearly a, a cultural problem, I think, around in Crete, around the church, and these people... Um, are infected by the, the culture from outside. They haven't, they haven't stepped away from the culture outside the church. They haven't become the people that they should have become 
in the light of the gospel. The gospel has not done its work in their hearts. They are still, they are still greedy. And they are apparently religious. They appear religious, um, Paul tells us. But, um, but they, are, they, are, they are greedy. Uh, they are driven by the wrong motivations. And so I suppose my simple question uh, to us this morning is, you know, what are, the, um, what are the cultural norms and the cultural challenges and the things that we take for granted that might be infecting our church? And that maybe we haven't noticed um, effectively because they have the appearance, you know, and the way they, they present within the church, they have the appearance of being religious. Um, it's just a question. I'm not going to go into it in detail, but the, the challenge, you know, here I think you've got Cretan culture and Cretan standards, general everyday standards, coming into the church. Um, and, and I question, you know, we need to be very careful about what standards from the world around us are coming into uh, the church. Um, and it, as I said, it appears religious. Um, it's being presented as being reasonable and true and, and something that reasonable people within the church probably should believe. And again, you know, my next question, therefore, is you know, what is being presented to us as reasonable within the church um, that we should believe that maybe we need to be uh, careful about? But the last thing that Paul says is it's devastating in its consequences. He talks about families being, being uh, destroyed, being ripped apart, you know, really strong stuff. Now, we don't know exactly what, what that means, you know. Is it that, you know, some people in the family are taking one point of view, some people in the family are taking another point of view, you know. Is it simply that, that you know, the standards in families are, are going down as a result and that's causing problems? We don't really know. But, but what Paul is really clear about to Titus is... This problem, it's not only a problem because it's, you know, difficult because it's coming within the church. It's not only a problem because it probably is, you know, um, the church falling to some extent to the standards of the world around us. But it's also a major problem because of the impact it's having. It's having a devastating impact within the church. Um, and so what Paul is saying to Titus is, this is a major, major problem that we need to uh, sort out. So the question is, well, if that's, that's the problem, the major, major problem that we've got, what's, what's the strategy? What's the, the method or the methodology um, by which we're going to tackle this? And it's really very simple. It's the right people in the right places. That's what it is. It's appointing the right people into the right places. Um, so it is about appointing effective elders. And I put and preachers because... Um, we, we can see that it's very clear that the elders should be preaching uh, the word as well. So uh, when I, I don't mean these are two separate people. I mean elders who are also preachers. So it's about appointing people to be elders and preachers. Um, to, to be really, really clear about what is right in the church. And, and they, they've got a clear geographical focus. Paul says they're going to be appointed into, uh, you know, basically you need elders in each church. So each church will need its own leaders. You know, you, you can't have a system where the elders are sort of, you know, coming in on a sort of rotation basis or, you know, the elders are based over there and they send out uh, messages to the... The elders have to be in the churches. So it's really important that each church has its elders who will be there to deal with the problems of that church. So clear geographical focus, one, in, one at least in each church... Uh, preferably more, I guess. And they've got to have the right knowledge, skills and attributes. 
Now, I said earlier I'm miserable because I'm going back to, to work tomorrow. And one of the things that really is like a little black cloud over my head at the moment with work is appointments. Um, I'm going to make a political point here, so um, apologies. Well, no, no, no apologies for that, actually. Um, the government is pretending there is not a teacher recruitment crisis. Take it from me, there is. And there is a major teacher recruitment crisis in Bradford. I have, I'm really open now, I have, uh, I, I advertised a job the other day on about 40-something thousand pounds. All right? Not a single applicant. Now, where else? Well, maybe, maybe somebody would tell me in the NHS, but, um, but you know, where, where else would you get, you know, you advertise this job, 40-something thousand pounds, not a single applicant. And that is common for me now, where I, where I advertise and I get not a single applicant. And I have four spaces in my English department for September. And that's not fair on those children. But that's, that's the situation at the moment. Now, when I do get to the point of being able to actually interview people, what am I looking for? Well, the three things we're always looking for, the right knowledge, the right skills, and the right attributes. Um, and probably the last one, often for me, is, is the most important, because you can, you can get people up to speed on knowledge quite quickly. Skills takes a bit longer, but, you know, you can do it if you've got the right material. Attributes, don't know, um, can take it from a user. If they haven't got the right attributes, they never will have. Um, what Paul is saying is here is to Titus is you're going to have to, you're going to, have to do a bit of uh, job search, job interview for these roles in the church. And they're going to have to be the right people. They're going, to have to have, they're going to have to have the right knowledge because they're clearly going to have to be solid in their doctrine, as, as he says. Um, but they're also going to have to have uh, the right attributes in particular. Um, and, and he's going to go on to explain what, what that might look like in practice. Um, and these people are going to then have to ensure there's absolute clarity of doctrine. So it's going to be, have to be really clear um, about what is right uh, they mustn't be afraid to, 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 to speak out, to be really clear. Why? Because Paul is so clear in verse 11 that this, these errors must be silenced. These, these myths and, and misleading ideas must be stamped out. There's, there's absolutely no room for compromise. So he's got to be the right people, and that's the methodology. Um, so, um, what do these um, people look like then in terms of their attributes? Well, they're going to have to be blameless, these, uh, these men who are going to be elders in the church. They're going to have to be blameless. And, and there, are, uh, there are three things, really, that, that Paul talks about. One is they've got to be able to manage their family. That's an interesting one. Um, they've got to be able to manage their emotions. Um, and they've got to be able to uh, keep uh, to sound doctrine. Um, I think this is pretty obvious, but um, it's... It's, it's often said, isn't it, that it's easier to preach ten sermons than it is to live one. And I think that's absolutely true. Um, and, uh, and this, for me, uh, my experience here, and, and Rhiannon might uh, say this is absolutely right, um, and this obviously I'm not, not an elder, but, but I, I still see the parallel with my own uh, role. I will, I will be in school all day, and I will be incredibly patient. Oh, I am so patient. You know, um, I will have a member of staff who will make, you know, the silliest mistake and then repeat that silly mistake and I am so patient with them. And then you have the child 
you know, the, the 11, 12-year-old who, who throws a chair across a classroom. Yes, it's dealt with. You know, it, the, the, you know, that is a very serious incident, young man. You are very fortunate to be able to stay in this school, or maybe not stay in this school. You know, we'll have to see. But I am so patient when I'm talking to him. And then, and then the girl who misses, you know, all her lessons all day and is, you know, then smoking in the toilets, you know. I am so patient with her when I explain that, you know, um, you know, mum and dad are going to have to come in and we're going to have to look at, an, you know, an exclusion or whatever. I am so patient. Are you patient all day? Patient with my own class. And then I come home and I just shout at my children because I have no patience left. <laughs> and I do that. Maybe not so much these days because they're, they're older. But I, I certainly used to do that. You know, I can't have well, you know, if you look at what's being expected here of the elder, it's a, it's a step up from that. Yeah, it's a step up from that. You've got to manage your family and you've got to manage your emotions. And, there's, and, and actually, it's in, I, the focus on the family is really interesting, I think, because it's, Paul's not talking to Titus here about you've got to make sure that they do this in the, in the church and this in the church and these are the kind of skills they've got. This is about them in their own families. Because that's where you can really see it. Because, as I said, you know, I, I could go all day being incredibly patient and I'd come home. Well, the elders can't do that. The, the test here is, is a test, I think it's a test of consistency. They've got to be able to do it all the time. They've got to be able to do it in their family life. Um, so they've got to be faithful They've got to have. Uh, they've got to be able to discipline appropriately their own children. And it's really interesting because um, in school, when when Ofsted judge leadership, they don't judge it on what you do. They judge it on the impact that you have. This is exactly the same here. The the, the judgment of the 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 effectiveness of the elder in his own family is is how his children turn out. Actually, you look at the children, then you can see something about. The father. That's a scary. That's scary, isn't it? But that's that's how it is. Look at the children, and you can. See. So if the children are running wild, or the children are, you know, running after these these myths or whatever in the church, well, that tells you something about the father. He may have been very well intentioned, but he he hasn't quite managed it. That's actually what Paul's saying, and that's a very hard message. It's a really hard message. But he's basically saying, look at the family, and you'll be able to tell. <coughs> Uh, something about uh, the father. Um, so, faithfulness of the father um, in all aspects of life, of the elder in all aspects of life, um, discipline of his own children, and witness to his own children as well. And those, those are tests that, that are going to be applied. So we can see how consistent this person is through all aspects of his life. But then, of course, just managing his own emotions uh, is really, really important. And, and I know about this. So, you know, said at the beginning, Paul sets this model of servant leadership. Well, we, here we are. You know, somebody who is humble, um, who is self-disciplined, and who is hospitable. So even when you know he's had enough, and he doesn't really want anybody around, and he doesn't want to see anybody, he's still hospitable. And um, probably gets his wife to do it all. But anyway. um, right, and then uh, keeps <laughs> keeps to um, keeps to sound doctrine. This is really important too because you can be, you know, you can you can have all these attributes, but if you're not preaching the, the gospel, if you're not sticking to the doctrine, um, then it's all a waste of time. And and you, you've got to be tenacious in sticking to the, the, the truth. 
You've got to be encouraging of others in sticking to the truth. And you've got to be prepared to say, no, that's wrong. Really, really important that you are prepared as an elder to say, no, that's wrong. Um, we, we don't believe that as a church. Uh, that's really important too. And, and, and Paul is, is really clear about that. So, to recap, um, Paul writes to Titus, who's on Crete, and says, uh, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. There are people in the church who are leading uh, the church astray, who are causing devastating impacts on families and individuals. It has to be stopped. How are we going to stop it? You're going to appoint elders in every church, and they're going to be uh, absolutely the right people to do this job. And we're going to know that because we're going to look at, we're going to do a, a, you know, not just an interview, but we're going to look at their whole life, and we're going to say, are they up to the job? Well, we'll know that by looking at um, how they manage their family, how they manage their own emotions. But we're also going to check that they that they've got the right doctrine, and we're going to check that they they won't be afraid. Uh, to stand up and say, this is what is right and that is wrong. We get those people in the right places, in the right churches, we'll sort the problem. That's what Paul is saying. Um, and then we'll, we'll see where he goes with the rest of the letter afterwards. Now,